We're very pleased to have leading us in our praise today, members of our Westminster Choir. You did very well. As we had prayer together before coming into this service, we asked God to use us to the best of his ability as we instruments try to make melody and beauty to his glory and praise. You did very well. The Westminster Choir is open to all young people, children from grades 3 through 8. They meet on Sunday evenings for rehearsal at 7 o'clock, and I'm sure Miss Green, our organist and choir director, will be happy to have any other members of the church family be a part. They're getting ready now for to sing on Christmas Eve at the 7.30 service. It's wonderful to have you people with us. Hear now the word of God as it is found in the first gospel, gospel according to Matthew. We begin to read at the seventh chapter and the seventh verse of that chapter. Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man of you, if his son asks, him for a loaf will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So whatever you ask or wish that men would do to you, do so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Amen. And amen. Elder Howard Taylor, who was the general chairman for our very successful centennial program a few years back, at the very happy birthday party for the church, the dinner that was held, in introducing one of the guests, told us of two very difficult things to do. One, Howard, if I may, he said it's very difficult for an individual to climb a fence when that fence is leaning towards you. The second difficult thing to do is to kiss a maiden when she's leaning away from you. And I believe I found a third difficult thing to do, and that is to have to lean upon your friends when you have to make requests of them. It's a very difficult thing to ask. 
And you and I many times have copped out by doing something ourselves instead of asking somebody. Because it's always difficult, no matter what age you might be, to have to ask somebody for help. Preachers are no different. That is why on Stewardship Sunday, preachers, who pastors who are otherwise normally serious, sane, and sober get a little bit spooky. You see, you are not the only people who dislike stewardship sermons. Many of us who have to preach them aren't real thrilled with them either. There are about five or six different methods that we learn we can use to help generate the motivation of people to give to the church. The first one is what we call the general or indirect approach, and that is where the preacher stands up and talks about everything, love, sacrifice, home, country, everything except about money. People usually don't know what he's talking about and wonder what the sermon had to say and usually don't increase their giving. Or if people do, they usually do so out of sorrow for the poor preacher who tried to tackle a very difficult subject. There's another approach. It's called the novel or the spectacular. That's what we call it in our trade. And that is where you come up with a new gimmick which makes people laugh as they're trying to swallow hard. I have a friend down South Pittsburgh, pastor of a very wonderful church, and he came up with one of the best ones I've heard of. It was either last year or the year before, he brought into the pulpit with him a banana. And he stood before all the people and he peeled the banana. And then he cut off a large portion of it and said, that represents what we spend for our family expense. He took off another slice, rather larger, and said that's personal expense. And then he kept on going, saying this stands for taxes and interest payments and principles. And when he was all over, he only had a little bit of the fruit left in the peel. And he said that usually is what we have left over, and that's what we give to the church. And then he called up one of the ushers and he threw the remainder together with the peel into an offering plate. Yeah. I didn't have any money to buy bananas this week. So. There are other approaches. Some people like the fair share approach. You know that approach. That's where you stand up. You. You take the total amount of the budget and divide it by the number of members and you indicate that's everybody's fair share. The whole problem is many of the people are so far away they don't know what their fair share is. Another church just two weeks ago south of Pittsburgh, I heard of a layman stand and make this kind of a presentation to his fellow parishioners and he he brought with him into the lectern a large roll of admission tickets. And after he peeled off one for every person present that day, indicating what each one of those tickets would cost in that church, 
in this church, every one of your seats, if we're going to make the value of the budget, costs $10 per person per Sunday. In that church, I don't know what it was, but he unraveled that roll of tickets for the number of people present and then revealed still two-thirds of the roll yet unused. And he said, who's going to pay for that? And then he threw them all out into the congregation. Oh, all sorts of novel and unique ways. There's one way that most of us want to use, but it's not Christian, I don't think. It's what we call the embarrassing method. And what you do, you, you try to make people feel guilty about their giving to the church. In one of our journals, I read about a man who thought he came up with a creative way of getting people to give, and that was during a service of worship when the ushers came forth to take up the offering. The pastor went down from the pulpit and he followed the ushers up and down the aisle watching while people put things in their plate. When he was finished, he came back and said, I might have offended you, but I just wanted you to realize that every time you put something in that offering plate, God is watching you. That was a very creative way of doing it. I'm glad to see that man has creativity. He's going to need it when he looks for a new job. <laughs> I like better that guy who on Stewardship Sunday left the pulpit. Though he was the pastor, he left the responsibility of the service to, to members of the finance committee, and he went out between the hour of 11 and 12 on Sunday and rang some doorbells of some parishioners who he knew would not be in church, but were still home doing whatever you do at home on Sundays between 11 and 12. And he'd ring the doorbell and the people would come dressed in all sorts of ways. And immediately the response of every one of them was the same. Reverend, what are you doing here at this time? And he would always respond the same way. You know, that's just the same question I was going to ask you. Our denomination is convinced that the best method is the interpretive method. Tell it like it is. Tell the people of the needs. And that's what our denomination, through its support agency, his division on interpretation and stewardship tries to do. They print all sorts of papers. They have a large staff where they just print and produce and publish all sorts of information. And I guess maybe it is one of the best ways. It requires the best in people, and, and their theory is simply that when you ask people and you tell them the need, they'll give. And that's all right. I, I believe in that. The whole problem is when you belong to a denomination, such as we do in the United Presbyterian Church, where there is a denomination budget of $30 million a year, where you belong to the Synod of the Trinity, where there's a budget of nearly $2 million a year, when you belong to the Presbytery of Pittsburgh, as we do, and there's a $1 million budget a year for mission, 
And when you're a part of a church, as we are here in Bakerstown, and have a budget of nearly a quarter of a million dollars a year, you don't have much time to do anything else but explain and interpret. And usually when you do, you always find one or two stubborn Presbyterians who want to argue about the necessity of one or two items. And usually instead of getting the funds, you get a rhubarb going. But that's one method. And I want to tell you that several months ago, when I knew this Sunday would be coming, be the 19th one for me and pastor of this church, what do you say? What do you do? And I thought over the different methods and approaches, read some of the sermons from previous years, and I kept hearing in the back of my spiritual mind words that you just heard from the Bible, words of Jesus. I kept hearing, Dick, ask, and you will receive. Ask, and you will receive. That sounds almost too simple. Too simple. Doesn't seem sophisticated enough, involved enough. Just ask, and you'll receive. Now, I know many people feel that this passage of Scripture has to deal only with Jesus' teaching on prayer. And that text is used, usually, with prayer sermons. But the more I studied it in Matthew's Gospel, I'm convinced it's not just about prayer that Jesus tells us to ask. It's a principle of life. It's a law of the prophets. So therefore, today, I'm going to very simply ask. Jesus, you know, did that. And who are we to argue with Jesus? You know, when Jesus wanted disciples to follow him, he didn't call up the union hall or the employment agency, but rather he went down to the fishing dock and he said to Peter and James and John, Come here. I need you. When he wanted other help, he went to the tax collector's office and he said to Matthew, Come here. He asked him to follow him. When Jesus, who had all sorts of powers to be able to create miracles, before he turned the loaves and the fishes into a great banquet for five thousands of people, he first asked the disciples, according to Luke, what do you have in the way of loaves? Before he sent Peter out, three times, not once, not twice, but three times, this Jesus, who knew what was in the heart and in the minds of everybody, he said unto Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You see, for some reason or other, and don't ask me why, but Jesus was convinced that there is power in answering questions. And though asking can be very difficult, it has definite advantages. It has advantages for the one who is forced to ask the question. Now we know that. There are several advantages, definite advantages, when you are forced to have to ask somebody for something. No matter how difficult it is, there are definite advantages. One of them that I can think of is that it makes and requires us to clarify 
and to simplify our goals. You people know if you really want something and you can't get it yourself and you have to ask, you better do your homework. And you better get your request simplified and down to the clearest of goals. The principle we so often forget in life. We knew it as little children. There's not one of us who, when we were little, did not go and ask our parents for something. Not one of us went and said to mother and father, please, mother and father, please purchase for me a vehicle as a mode of transportation that will facilitate my energies and make me to expedite in my responsibilities and in process of doing so will also strengthen my sinews and tissues and give me many hours of enjoyable pleasure as well. No, we didn't do that. We said, Mom, Dad, we want a bicycle. And that's the way it was done. And we got them. You have to simplify, you see, your goals and clarify in your asking. And if you can't do that, as any salesman will tell you, then you better not go and ask because your goals are not worthy. Another thing that it does, it gives us all an opportunity to be able to specify exactly the things that we need and want and allow other people to know it. And when you tell people exactly what it is you want, then they have the ability to respond. It makes you, when you have to ask, realize who you are. It brings out your humanity. No time in life are we any more human than when we are humbled to the place where we have to ask for help. As John Donne, the preacher, says, no man is an island. And we don't realize that as much or as quickly or as easily as when we have to ask for help. That's when we realize we live in community. Don't ask me why some people win and some people lose political elections. I don't think anybody knows that answer. It'll be very interesting to see, as some political analyzers are saying, that in 1978, the citizens of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania elected a Republican governor, and one of the reasons was that the Democratic governor, for his own reasons, refused to ask people who could help him. That's what asking questions can do. Simplifies, clarifies your goals, brings you into an understanding of self in that no one of us can get along without the other. And thirdly, it confronts us, forces us, directs us, and makes us get involved with personalities and people. This is not the first preaching of this sermon. I've been working on it for some time. It was, it was preached first yesterday morning in the privacy of my study, and I preached it to my big, beautiful, black mahogany desk. Last night I preached it again on the way home, and I preached it 
to the brilliance of the dashboard of my automobile. This morning I preached it very early in the darkness and looking to the ceiling as I lay in bed going over the sermon preaching it as I always do every Sunday morning before I get up. But though that's, this sermon has been preached three times already, it's going to do absolutely no good in those three preachings. Because I didn't preach it to people. Desks, dashboards, and darkened rooms are not people. It is preached only when I come and am forced to confront you as personalities. Trees can't answer us. Homes can't answer us. Cars can't answer us. Only people can answer us. And when we ask, we have to go to people. And when we confront people as people, that's when we're alive. And that's when things get done. No, it's difficult, no question about it. But there are definite advantages to having to ask. And the advantages come not only to the asker, but to those who respond as well. Because you see, when you ask somebody a question, you first of all give them the opportunity to be an answer person. And believe me, in my evaluation of life, one of our problems is that there are not too many people today who are allowed or asked to give answers. And that's too bad because, you know, we spend so much of our lives trying to find out answers. The reason we go to school, the reason we do research, the reason we are continuous students, why, you know, even the reason we gossip is so that we can have the answers so that when somebody asks us, we don't have to say, I don't know, but we can say, I know, whether it's true or not. We all need that. To me, the most pathetic person in the whole world is that individual who realizes he no longer is needed. We all have a need to be needed. And when you ask questions, you give the opportunity for people who need to be needed to find a need and an answer. Some of you are growing older. Some of you are grandparents. Some of you who are so successful and have so much knowledge and experience. You're learning out, isn't it? Aren't you? That is very difficult to reach a plateau in life where suddenly you realize nobody needs your answers. Nobody needs you. And when you think like that, that is a part of the death wish. Ask people. Let them be the answer. And also when you ask people, that's when they are found. You don't realize what you do for people when you ask them. I stand here humbly today in this great prestigious pulpit simply because, as I've told you before, a missionary woman at a senior high conference put the finger right at me and said, why don't you become a preacher? 
That's not all of it, but it was that question that really brought it to a highlight. I believe that even before I was an idea in my parents' minds, long before I was conceived, God had plans to send me at this time to this world. God equipped me at birth with the potential to be able to stand before you today. God fashioned me through my parents and sister and family and friends and you people who have had such a tremendous influence on my life. But it was only when that woman asked me a question and gave me the answer or the opportunity to answer that I really began to find myself. Well, if I'd have known that day of all the demands that would be on my life, I don't know if I'd have done it. I guess I would have. Because the rewards have been great as well. But it all happened because somebody asked a question. And I found my life. You see, when you're asked questions and you attempt to answer, all sorts of doors can open to you. I have a friend, Eugene. He quit his life's work and got involved when his little child, who was born crippled, asked him, Daddy, why can't I walk? And in trying to find that answer, he left his job, he made sacrifices, he got involved in this agency for crippled children, that opened the door to allow him to get into handicap problems, that allowed him to get into an agency of the state, that man today, though retired, has lived a full life and has found his destiny because a little child asked him a question. And he found out all doors, all kinds of doors opened and his potentiality was discovered because of a question. Jesus, you're right. Ask and all sorts of wonderful things shall happen. We'll all receive a blessing. God? Me for asking? You for answering. So when you have to sit down this week and fill out that pledge and respond to my personal, simple, direct asking, just remember, the more generous you are, the harder you try to answer that question with kindness and openness. It means that all sorts of doors God's waiting to open for you. Ask and ye shall receive. Try it. Amen. Father, please help us in our requests and in our answers. And though it's a very difficult thing to do, may we realize that for the future it's even more dangerous not to do. And now may the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>